Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. You may have noticed on some of my podcasts, we've talked a lot about seabirds and pelagic birding. On episode number three, Bruce Labar was my guest, and Bruce is a longtime pelagic birder, both out of the San Francisco Bay Area and with Washington Seabirds here in Washington. Bill Twite, on episode number eight, we talked extensively about a pelagic trip I took with Washington Seabirds, and he gave a really nice uh, discussion of the whole Gray's Canyon uh, habitat and topography, and we talked a lot about our pelagic trip. Uh, both Alvaro Romeo and Doreen Anderson are avid pelagic birders. Uh, and so you'll notice a trend that we've talked quite a bit a lot about pelagic birding and seabirds. Well, seabirds, pelagic birds, are birds that spend most of their lives at sea, but they do need a part of their lives on land. They breed on land. They have to lay an egg like all other birds, and, and they have to uh, incubate that egg and fledge that and raise that young and fledge it. And these seabirds have developed, evolved to selectively breed in areas that were essentially predator free. Many of them breed on islands that are far from shore where there were no mammals or almost no mammals and uh, evolved over the years to be essentially oblivious to predators because they just hardly had any. They breed out there, uh, lay their egg and hatch their egg and raise their young and the young fledge. And there was essentially no risk of predators from uh, mammals, especially rodents, rats, mice, that sort of thing. Well, when humans came uh, with their boats to these islands, uh, they often raided the colonies for eggs and did other nasty things. But maybe the nastiest thing that humans did when they came to these islands were brought predators, largely rats and mice. And uh, the guest I have today is not a birder. It's my first professed non-birding guest, but he is an advocate for mouse eradication on the Farallon Islands. Uh, these are islands off the coast of California that are pretty small islands, but historically have been globally important seabird breeding islands. They've been decimated by house mice. People think, house mice? How could a house mice bother a, a bird as big as an albatross or a petrel or, a, or you know, birds much bigger than a house mice? Well, these birds are oblivious. They have uh, no evolutionary defenses. They don't even defend themselves. And these mice literally crawl up on the seabirds and eat them alive. It's just hideous, awful awful thing. Uh, anyway, uh, our guest today uh, is an advocate for eradication of these rodents on these islands. Uh, and it's a controversial topic. There are a lot of people who are strongly opposed. Uh, and the anticoagulant used on these, uh, these rodent eradication programs is a terrible agent. It's abused by people all over the place. Uh, if you have mice in your garage and you want to get rid of them, you should not use this type of agent. There are traps or other ways to get rid of these mice. But when you have an infestation of mice over an entire island and you have to eradicate every single one of those rodents in order to make that a lasting solution, there's really no alternative to this type of poison. You have to use effective, effective poison to make it work. And it's been demonstrated to be effective in many islands around the world. And our guest today is, is uh, an advocate and a relative expert on this subject. So I'm excited today to have as my guest Tim Larson. Tim is a non-birder, but a strong advocate for birds, and that he's an advocate for the mouse eradication program on the Farallone Islands. 
This program is hopefully getting off the ground and happens sometime next year. It'll be really exciting to have one more rodent-free bird breeding island, especially so close to here, where many, many thousands more seabirds will hatch each year if we can get rid of these mice. Anyway, uh, I'm excited to have him on the, pro on the program today. I think you'll enjoy it. Make sure after you listen to check out the Bird Banner Facebook page because there I have links, uh, a post from the Mouse Eradication Project that really explains a success on another island and how this sort of program works. It's pretty exciting. But welcome today, Tim Larson. Welcome, Tim. This is Ed Pullen, and you're on the Bird Banner Podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good. Tim, I want you to know you're the first non or professed non-birder on the podcast. I'm excited about that. Uh, birders are uh, reliant on lots of different people with lots of different interests to help out the birds and the, and the, uh, the ecosystem. So I'm excited to hear from you. Uh, tell me, I know that you're really interested and passionate about seabird breeding islands. I wanted you to tell me, how did, how did that come to be? How did you get involved in that, that story? Well, many years ago, I uh, got a job as a mechanic on an island, an atoll, Palmyra Atoll, about a thousand miles south of Hawaii. And um, when I was there, oh, okay, uh, they had rats. So uh, hmm. I came home and I really didn't think about it much. And then I read this article uh, by Ted Williams about Palmyra and how the uh, rat eradication program there had worked. So very, very well. And I was really happy about that. But about halfway down the article, he mentions, he mentions the Farallon Islands, which are um, some small, rocky islands off the coast of San Francisco, about 35 miles, and how they wanted right. to do a, a mouse eradication project there. The, the mice had been there for okay. many, many decades. about when, just for timing? How long ago are we talking um, a long time ago. Okay. I was I was on Palmyra a long time ago, but um, I didn't read this article until, uh, oh, I guess it was about four or five years ago. And uh, about halfway down the article, okay. he mentioned the Farallons Island and how they were wanting to do a an eradication project out there. But a woman who lives in Marin County, uh, basically within sight of the islands, uh, passed a petition around saying mm -hmm. that uh, they were going to drop a ton and a half of poison on these 124 acres to kill the mice there. And um, the effects of that, both by kill every, and every other living creature, yes. They were going to kill every living creature out there. Um, and, you know, it was going to get in exactly. the water and uh, somehow it was going to affect her life. And... That is just Your babies might die. Yeah. yeah, she's the type of she works worked for an organization called Wild Care, and they rehabilitate animals, wild animals, and release them back into the wild. Well, that's mm -hmm. great. I, I totally support that. But she was rehabilitating mice and releasing them back into the wild. Oh so I tend to think her her objections were more along the lines of moral and cruelty and animal abuse based rather than um, continuing mm -hmm. environmental destruction. So, um, I, I, okay. you know, I, that old saw, uh, think globally, act locally. Well, 
Farallons is my right. local issue, and I have been working on it on and off for four years now or so. Um, okay. It's been uh-huh. very, very discouraging. Uh, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that most discourages me is that so many people uh, object to it on moral grounds and the cruelty that the poison will inflict upon these these poor little creatures that don't belong out there. Um, last I heard, there was sixty or seventy thousand mm-hmm. mice on these hundred and twenty four acres. There's been millions over the years, but to object to the cruelty of of the eradication and ignore the cruelty that those rodents inflict upon the, the the birds out there is I don't get it it's just hypocrisy that is beyond my ability to understand um, um, on that article cool green science uh, we'll link to it at the end of the program I guess uh, sure. there's a video of mice attacking uh, a nesting bird and they just eat it alive. I've seen them eat, eating the heads off albatrosses. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and these birds are completely, obl- they're not oblivious to it, but they have no, no instinct to even fly away. And the horror of that, it just, it just really gets to me. And there's so many islands that mm-hmm. are affected by uh, invasive species, both animals, um, insects. I um, Curry Atoll, C-U-R-E. It's uh, north mm-hmm. of Hawaii. Was they know the exact mm-hmm. moment ants, big-headed ants, were brought to Curry Atoll, and Ooh. they just decimate the bird population. So people have been uh, spraying poison wow. and getting rid of um, ants there for many, many years. And I believe it is darn close to ant-free now. Curry Atoll is sad. It will be the first place to go under, first atoll to go under. It's the northernmost atoll in, on the Darwin line. Oh. But anyway, back to uh, island conservation. Warming, it'll go underwater. It'll be the first place to go underwater. Yes. Okay. Um, back oh, to God. island conservation in general. That'll probably get rid of the ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes. hopefully we can do something about that. But anyway, island conservation That's is special. Uh, island conservation is special because uh, the environments are so fragile um, and and are so damaged by just individual species, palmyra was all rats. Rats by far are the worst invasive mm-hmm. species on earth probably, with feral hogs and, and mm-hmm. uh, rainbow trout, for instance, are an incredibly bad yeah, invasive there's, there's species. There's a lot of, lot, of, lot of them, sure. But islands are especially vulnerable, fragile, but they're also especially easy to do because reintroduction is is well monitored very closely and people just generally preventable it's preventable it's sure. preventable and people are generally more savvy about it 
So, um, and, and I, mm-hmm. I don't know on a scale of one to 10, how difficult feral lines will be, but given that Palmyra is a thousand miles of open ocean from Hawaii and feral is 35 miles from a major metropolitan city, I don't think it will be a big, a real hassle. Um, the bike hill will be mostly it's a lot easier to fly a helicopter there. Yes, I, I'm not sure that they would actually do that. Um, I think they would probably take oh, okay. a barge out and launch a helicopter okay. off do it by barge. Hand? No, um, use oh, a helicopter, okay. but okay. off of a barge because it's 35 miles and helicopters aren't that fast. Okay. Um, I don't know. They could just do it from land also. But a ton and a half of bait should go pretty fast. I'm, I'm just taking a guess that it would take probably a day or two. And um, Yeah, I would think it would be quick. The, uh, the bait itself um, is, uh, it decays in the environment. So there are a lot of factors that determine how long the bait is going to be out there and active. Yeah. But I mean, what is the, the point, general time frame? Is it is it a few weeks or a few days or how long does the bait last? You know, it depends on so many factors. Yeah, is it a few weeks or a few days? Um, it could, uh-huh. It's going to be a few weeks at least, um, and I'm guessing that okay. out there it's going to last probably 90 days, um, but it, it decreases in effectiveness mm-hmm. pretty quickly with time, sure. air, water, just natural you know, decomposition. Right. Uh, but right. I mean, the point here is, is it needs to be effective. And brotofaculum is one sure. of the nastiest there is. And that's why it's effective. It's it's extremely effective, yeah. It's extremely effective. And see, these these animals, these, these rodents are really smart. And if it is too effective, they associate eating the bait with dying or getting sick. And then they don't eat it anymore and it becomes, they become, eat it. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's made to last a while in the environment and they have to consume it over a certain amount of time. I believe on Palmyra, it was pretty much over in 14 mm-hmm. days. So, um, you know, Bi-Kill is terrible. It's a sad, gruesome, grim fact, but we have to get past it. Um, I, w- I was just talking to my congressman's office, uh, a rep- a rep- the representative, and I, I was pleased to find out that they're a lot more into it than their public persona would indicate. Um, people are very worried about uh, it getting into the seawater, into the ocean, and affecting right. uh, sea animals. No, uh, the amount of actual toxic material is on the order of several pounds. So we're talking um, three or four sugar cubes of poison per acre. And it's very, very small mm-hmm. amount um, as far as. A ton and a half of. By the bait. time it gets in the ocean, it'll be so dilu- so diluted that it'll be almost irrelevant. Yeah, and and an animal, let's say the size of a gull. Um, I was reading of it, and New Zealand are using this throughout the whole island. They intend to um, 
mm-hmm. eliminate every non-native land mammal. And there's only two mammals there, native, and those are both bats. Mm-hmm. So they're going to try to eliminate every yeah, wow. invasion. And they're using Brotofacula. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So, and they were talking about, say, a chicken had to in- ingest 200 grams of poison over a certain amount of time, a, a pretty short amount of time. So the uh-huh. buy kill is, it's a case-by-case basis. They know if there's, you know, uh, a lots of birds that are going to be eating the bait, that there's going to be a lot of buy kill. Uh, they really are not sure about pheromones. Sure. What are these gulls going to eat? Are they going to eat the pellets or are they going to eat the dead mice? How many of them are going to be out there? Uh, Right now, they just discovered birders might be interested in this strange little fact. Um, They found some gulls that hitch rides on garbage trucks to the dump rather than fly there. (laughs) And they thought, oh, well, it was just a one-off thing. No, there are whole flocks of them that do this every day regularly. And I'll guarantee you there's some buy kill out at the dump too. Yeah, in the Bay Area, they were riding from San Francisco out to like Livermore on the garbage trucks rather than fly. So. um, Smart birds. Yeah, I love birds, um, but just in general. You know, my major claim to burning fame is that I've seen bristle-thighed curlews on Palmyra. So. Oh, yes. I've seen them in Nome, but. Uh, <laughs> really? The fact that those birds. You've seen the breeding grounds? You've seen them on the wintering grounds. Uh, the fact that those birds fly all the way to a, from Alaska to Palmyra and back with no GPS whatsoever. It's amazing, isn't it? I have been out, uh, I, oh, yeah. I get very seasick, so I didn't go off the island very much, but a couple of times I we went out fishing. And, I mean, uh-huh. a couple of miles out, and I'm lost. And and they get there from 3,000, 4,000 yeah, miles sure. away. It's, it's amazing. I, I'd also like to... Yeah. Um, it is amazing. It is I, read amazing. A, I read a quote in a book that I'm sure that you have read, and if you haven't, I would urge you to read it. Um, it's an odd book in that I recommend it a lot, although I have never finished it and I probably don't intend to finish it. It was just too much for me. Um, it's called The Narrow Edge by Deborah Kramer. Mm, I don't think and, I've read it. Oh, I don't think I've read it. No. Wow. It is one of the most emotional and, and gripping books I've ever read and, and sad and Wow. Just wow. But what made me get the book in the first place was a quote that goes, we so easily accept the diminished world around us. Unaware of what we have lost, we cannot imagine what we might restore. And I think that's the way it is with Farallons. That place was one of the yeah, you the could be best right. bird rookeries. One of the most, it was a globally important seabird rookery. And now it's just a death trap. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people know yeah. Yeah, that sh- the place should be surrounded by birds. And instead, they're just, they just go there and either get killed or lay an egg that dies. And, and I just, I, I can't, yeah. I can't stomach it. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I hear you. One of the great things, to, I mean, one of the the unique and fabulous things about these eradication programs is that they're a one and done thing. I mean, yes. you know, there may be some buy kill. There may be some some bad things that happen from the the process. I, I think they're probably not as bad as people would imagine, but there, I'm sure there is some buy kill. But well, I have to disagree with you there. Maybe 69, 60, 60 or ninety days. I mean, that's that's a period of time rather than decades and eons of birds being eaten by mice out there. I mean, it's yes. it's, it's. Let me give a, you an example. I mean, it's, it's an acceptable. An acceptable bad part to me. It is. It's a, It's something that we just have to accept. Um, Howadex Island, it was originally called Rat Island. You can imagine why. <coughs> Howadex was the Inuit uh-huh. name for it. They figured that they were going, they figured, I think, that there was a hundred eagles there and that they were going to kill mm-hmm. 50 of them. Well, they ended up killing something like uh-huh. 170 of them, and there were 300 of them there. But they were uh-huh. massively overpopulated because of the rats. And, right. and so now that all the rats are gone, it's at a, an acceptable level. And so the bi-kill was much worse than people thought. But the the imbalance of the ecosystem was also much worse than they thought. And, 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 and I guess the sort of, the, I mean, there's an issue. The corollary out on Farallons would, are the little owls that go out there. Um, they shouldn't be yes, out there. Right. The, they die yeah. every year anyway. So, you know, it's just everything about it is wrong. And, you know, and it's just all human stuff. Yeah. I want to, and, and speaking of humans, um, there are people that live out there. There are, I think, two, two couple. There's two oh, there little, two mm-hmm. little houses out there, and I think two couples or two people live out there, and they live out there for six months at a time, and no one else is allowed to go there. It's very strict. Um, when you go whale watching there, are they the, are they like employees? Are they monitoring things, or do they yes. just live there? No, they they they're employees. Uh, I believe they're volunteer docents. Right. That's Effectively. Um, but they, okay. no one visits there. You are strictly not allowed to go there. Now, when they do this, and if they do this, sure. and I believe they will, um, there will probably have to be people out there hazing, what they call hazing. And it's just bothering the right. gulls. Keep it, trying to keep the gulls. Um, right. I've heard that they might. Meat, from eating the mice. They might. They've used dogs. I don't think they'll do dogs out there. Um, they've used air guns. They've used um, paintball um, noise makers. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do out there. Um, if anything, they may determine that there's not going to be enough buy kill to bring a bunch of people and the impact that they might have. Um, so right. they're really they really do think about buy kill, and they and they're thinking about it more so on feral lines. Because some of these gulls may fly back to, well, with my luck, they'll fly back and die right in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge during rush hour. And we'll get headlines in the paper. <laughs> but um, I found you out. probably will. But anyway. I f- but- found out that generally people online are against it. But if you talk to people face to face, they're like, oh, yeah, 
that makes sense. And I, I've gone to town hall meetings and talked to people, and they're like, yeah, oh, that sucks. Oh, that's horrible. But yes, it makes sense. So, um, yeah. I think sometimes I feel like in America we are too politically correct, too sensitive. I mean, the New Zealanders aren't having any trouble. The Australians aren't having any trouble. We're having more trouble than they are. But anyway. Our, our vocal minority is very vocal. Um, the California Conservation Committee has recently taken up the Farallons issue and they tabled it. But that was just more for mm -hmm. political reasons. I think they're getting their ducks in a row. I talked to a biologist there. Um, mm -hmm. I called to talk to the biologist that did the, the report on Farallons, but he was at a meeting about Farallons. And so I talked to his office mate who did the report on Anacapa, one of the Catalina Islands. And right. I said- and That was I, pretty successful, wasn't it? It was very successful. And I said to him, I said, I called and I said, look, I, I really support the Farallons project. He goes, wow, we never hear that. And I said, you get a lot of phone calls. And he says, you would not believe the grief. Oh, it's, it's death threats type stuff. Yeah. People are very emotional about this. Yeah. And he says, we get nothing but grief about it, but all the biologists here are unanimous in our support of this. And I said, well, look, Anna Kappa worked well. You did Anna Kappa. He says, yeah. I said, does anybody call you back and say, gee, I'm sorry for cussing you out. And, and you know, you were right and I was wrong. He says, no, nah, I've never heard that. So I, I, I'm asking my congressman to get, he, my congressman, Congressman Jerry Huffman, has um, recently been appointed mm -hmm. co-chair of the Water, Oceans and Wildlife Committee on Congress. And so he's like the second well, most powerful. Like an important one. It's an important one, and um, he's, uh, you know, I've been bugging him for four years to uh, deal with Farallons. And like I said, just right before I started this podcast with you, I got off the phone with them, and things are really looking up for the whole deal. Um, yes, uh, it cool. seems like a setback. Any idea? Any, any t potential time frame? Um, doubt if it would happen Is there before. any potential time frame? Doubt if it would happen before 2020, fall of 2020. I believe that's the time when the mice are at their so lowest. Not, yeah. And that's when they would probably do it. Okay. They may, um, it may just be a year of monitoring because they really, really want to do the science. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if it was me, I'd just uh -huh. buy the bait and rent a helicopter and go. But uh, island conservation, um, I don't know who's going to do it. Chances are it will be California fishing game or U.S. fishing game. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah, it would just Doesn't be matter. a... Get it done. Get it done. <laughs> get it yeah. done. Yeah. I, I want to cover just a few questions that I, I suspect listeners might have. Are there any effective means of killing mice or rats other than poison? Are there traps? Are there, uh, no. are there you have uh, to less kill. toxic poisons? What other choices are there? Less toxic poisons are less effective. You have to kill every breeding, mm -hmm. every, every pregnant female and every breeding couple. You have to do it within the gestation yeah. period of 
the mice and so or, or the rodents or whatever animal yeah. it is and it's just they've tried everything contraception trapping um it just it doesn't work um that that was my impression too i just question i needed to ask yeah there are, uh, we so have about tried, 800 I, I read, islands I, 800 successful islands um and oh my goodness so this, yeah around this the is world not the first rodeo for this sort of thing yeah oh no not at all um like paul myra it took them two tries um but they learned that there are rats who live and die and never touch the ground they live in those coconut trees and it was an important thing oh. um Gough Island is another one. This is huge. Millions of birds every year. It's in the South Atlantic are killed by, and it's Mm going to cost millions of dollars. And it's a huge thing. And it has to be done all at once because you you, just, even on Palmyra, they have to get the whole place. Yeah. You have to get the whole place. Um, Even on islands that are, you know, a mile or two apart, rats end up swimming, floating over, being carried by birds. Um, driftwood you know, or something, yeah. Driftwood, yeah. It's just life manages to survive, like Jeff Goldblum said on Jurassic Park. You know, somehow yeah. they will find a way to survive. And so these people out on Farallons, that's what started it. They will be monitoring. They will have bait stations. They will be live trapping. And so, and this goes on on all the islands. They spent a lot of money doing the eradications. So they spent a lot of money and time and effort monitoring and following up. Right. It sounds like what needs to happen, and this is just my take, is that we there needs to be a way to get people, uh, an offsetting passionate group. Right now, there's a passionate group of people against this. And there's a very tiny, you and maybe a few others, passionate group for it. Uh, is there a way somehow to drum up uh, support? I suspect that there's a, a significant number of people who would be strong supporters of this, but they just, they're not passionate about it. They hope it happens, but they're not doing anything. That, either that or, um, like my global issue is nuclear energy. And what I found out that if you talk to people face to face, they say, yeah, I support, I support that. But they believe, and I believe it's the same way with island conservation and and mouse eradications, that other people do not, are not like-minded. And as soon as you get a three or four people together, like-minded, the momentum builds. And, um, I believe now, um, because of the California Conservation Commission, this is a few people, people outside of California don't understand how powerful these guys are. I mean, they virtually have their fingers on in every pie that's within sight of the ocean, every building project. They were instrumental in the SeaWorld orca breeding program. That's how powerful they are. Okay. And they um, wow. have taken their request off the table temporarily so that the, everybody can get their ducks in a row. And then they're going to put it back and do it fast before the public can become hysterical. <laughs> so I, I believe the project will happen sometime towards the end of 
2020. That sounds uh, somewhat encouraging. I'll, I'll, uh, I, I, I hope that you're right, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'm not going to bet the farm on it. We'll see. I hope you're right. Anyway, uh, how can listeners more find out more about this? Uh, maybe after the episode, you can send me some links by email. I can make sure I put in the podcast notes. I think that would be helpful. That would be and, that would uh, be great. I would suggest the only thing you, I really do is my Facebook page. I live and die on Facebook. Um, it's called Farallon's House uh-huh. Mouse Eradication Project. I would recommend people go there. And okay. read the article that I just then finally figured out how to to pin at the top called uh, Cool Green Science, Miracle on Palmyra. And it's just the most inspiring and uplifting Good. article. And if you get a chance to watch the video, uh, NBC on assignment went there and um, talked about how successful the, the eradication is. And know that, you know, it's pretty much the same for all islands. The eradications are just resoundingly successful. Sure. So, and if you get, if you really want to do something right to NOAA, NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. I'll make sure I leave. I'll make sure I leave a snail mail address for as well as an email address for them if I can in the podcast notes too. Okay, Good. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, you mentioned the the uh, the Eradication Act uh, site on Facebook as a way people can reach out to you. Are there other ways you that people can get a hold of you? The email T Larson okay. at I'll, Sonic. I'll put your email uh, in the uh, in the podcast. Or, you know, instant message me. Perfect. um, Anything. Thank you so much, Ed. Great. I appreciate it, Tim. Thanks so much. It's always good to hear from some a passionate person on an interesting project that's birding related. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast, episode number 26 with Tim Larson. I've learned a lot. Rodent eradication programs are controversial, difficult subjects. But I have to agree with the biologists and with Tim's point of view that the short-term pain is worth worth it for the long-term gain. Seabirds are some of our most at-risk at risk species. There are a lot of challenges. We talked about some of those earlier uh, with uh, Bill Twight, long-line fisheries, depletion of food in the oceans. But maybe we can at least let them breed, You know, give them a chance. If there are more of them out there, they've got a better chance. I'd love to hear what you think. Leave comments on the Bird Banner podcast. Uh, in the review notes, you can go to birdbanner.com. I'll have a blog post there. We can leave comments. You can also let me know what you think on my Facebook page, Bird Banner Facebook page, where I will leave a link to this podcast. Until next time, good birding, good day. <laughs>